Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about the Twenty-Seven Day Emperor. In March two thousand eleven, one villager, surnamed Xiong, living in the province of Jiangxi in southeastern China, decided to call the police. On his way going to work and coming home, he had been coming across a number of oddly dressed out-of-towners. Xiong stopped and asked them what they were doing. They said they were hunting rabbits. Unconvinced, Xiong called the police. Sure enough, the strangers turned out to be grave robbers. And they had already dug a fourteen-meter hole into a nearby mountain. When the authorities came and kept digging where the grave robbers were working, they made one of the great finds of modern archaeology in China. They found the tomb of the Marquis of Haihun. Who was the Marquis of Haihun? It's kind of confusing, actually, as the man had multiple titles in life—titles that testified to his status as one of those minor figures in Chinese history who were nonetheless fascinating for what they did or what was done to them. The Marquis of Haihun, whose personal name was Liu He, also at different times held the title of the Prince of Changyi, and indeed Emperor Fei Di of the Han Dynasty. Now, Fei Di actually means the abolished emperor, and that's what the man is famous for. He was emperor for all of. Twenty-seven days before getting fired from the job. How did that happen? How could an emperor get fired from his job? And how did he manage to do it after less than four weeks? Let's back up a bit to review some previous episodes we've done to understand the background of Han Dynasty politics. Around this time, we previously told the story of the founding of the Han Dynasty, officially established in 202 BC. We previously talked about Empress Lu, the wife of the founding emperor Liu Bang, who held power after her husband's death, thereby setting a precedent in Han politics of interference by relatives of the imperial spouse. And in the political machinations of her time, we can see the formation of what amounted to three factions or even political parties: the imperial sons and grandsons, surnamed Liu, who were eligible to be emperor; the empresses' male relatives, who could take real power as uncles and cousins; and other mandarins and generals from other families. We also previously talked about 
the reign of Emperor Wudi of the Han, the Martial Emperor, who spent much of his long reign fighting the Shunwu people on Han China's northern frontier, the people later identified by some historians with the Huns, who invaded Europe a few centuries later. This story really begins during the reign of Emperor Wudi, the seventh emperor of the Han Dynasty. As Wudi kept fighting the Shunwu and others, he was in sore need of competent generals. Numerous generals from this period would go down as famous figures in Chinese history, but today we only need to mention a couple of them. One. Was Wudi's brother-in-law. See, Emperor Wudi's second empress was a woman named Wei Zifu. The Wei family was previously not prominent. Wei Zifu's mother was a servant girl, as was her older sister. When Wei Zifu won the emperor's favor, however, the Wei family suddenly became a force at court. In nepotistic good luck, Wei Zifu's brother Wei Qing turned out to be a highly gifted military commander. So he rose to become one of the Han Dynasty's greatest generals. Meanwhile, the other Wei sister, again a servant girl, had an affair with a low-ranking official named surnamed Huo, and gave birth. To an illegitimate son named Huo Shibing. Interestingly, Han Dynasty culture at this time was actually quite permissive on matters of sex. No one particularly cared whether someone was born in or out of wedlock. So no one cared in the case of Huo Shibing. His aunt, the Empress Wei Zifu, brought. A teenaged Huo Qubing into the palace, where Emperor Wudi soon took a liking to the boy. And again, Wudi enjoyed incredible good luck in his nepotism. Huo Qubing turned out to be a military genius. At only seventeen, Huo Qubing joined his uncle Wei Qing on campaigns against the Shunwu. At Eighteen, Huo Qubing was made a general, as he won brilliant victories that surpassed even his uncle. History books tell us that he led a total of six campaigns against the Shunwu, and was credited with killing over one hundred and ten thousand enemies. And then, in one seventeen B.C., at only Twenty-three years old, Huo Qubing suddenly died. History books from this time do not record the cause of his death, but his brother reported that it was due to illness. His brother. Now let's talk about him. Where did he come from? So, as I said, Huo Qubing's father was a minor official. After leaving his erstwhile girlfriend to raise their love child alone, Mister Huo married 
another woman and had a second son with her named Huo Guang. Years later, in 121 BC, when Huo Chubing was 19 years old, but already a general, he met his father for the first time on his way to fight the Shongnu. On this occasion, he also learned that he had a younger brother and met him. Later, when Huo Chubing came back from this campaign, he decided to bring his half brother with him into the capital. Huo Guang was seventeen at this time. With his big brother's help, he took a job at court. Over the next twenty thirty years, Huo Guang rose up the ranks in the Han power structure, becoming one of Emperor Wu Di's most trusted courtiers. Later in Wu Di's reign, sadly, someone managed to convince him that the crown prince, which is to say Wu Di's son with Empress Wei Zifu, practiced black magic and tried to put a hex on his father. The end result of this was that the crown prince committed suicide, leaving the succession of the Han Dynasty in doubt. Emperor Wu Di had no choice now but to name his younger son, who was only a child, as the new crown prince. When Wu Di died in eighty-seven B.C., the seven-year-old succeeded him as Emperor Zhao Di of the Han. To try to guard against the inevitable problems associated with Kinder Kaisers, before he died. Wu Di named several of his top courtiers as regents for his son. One of them was Huo Guang. As perhaps you can imagine, although Wu Di meant for the multiple regents to serve as each other's check and balance, the several regents became political opponents as each sought to arrogate greater power unto himself. A faction gathered around Huo Guang. As a rival faction opposed to him gathered around his chief opponents. Several years into their regency, when Emperor Zhao Di was fourteen, Huo Guang's enemies tried to convince the emperor that Huo Guang was planning a coup. But the emperor didn't believe them. As Plan A had failed, they attempted a coup of their own. But this also failed. And gaining the upper hand, Huo Guang had his enemies executed. After that, Huo Guang became the indisputable dominant power at the court of Emperor Zhao Di. In seventy-four B.C., Zhao Di suddenly died, aged only twenty-two. As Zhao Di had no children, the gathered courtiers under Huo Guang now had to pick. A successor from among the imperial cousins, the various princes of the realm, and this was where the Marquis of Haihun, the man whose tomb we began this episode with, entered the picture. Liu He, a grandson of Emperor Wu Di, was at this time the Prince of Changyi. Changyi was a fiefdom located in present-day Shandong Province in the east, by the Pacific Ocean. 
Liu He had inherited this fiefdom from his father. Upon receiving the message from the capital that he was to ascend the throne, the prince of Changyi was apparently so overjoyed that he raced to meet his destiny in a manner that was considered inappropriate under the circumstances and under the customs of the time because of the period of mourning mandated by the recent death of the previous emperor. He also apparently rather enjoyed himself too much during this period of mourning, when one was supposed to abstain from parties as well as pleasures of the flesh. Nonetheless, the prince of Changyi was made emperor upon arriving at the capital, becoming Emperor Feidi of the Han. He continued to party as emperor, and he began to appoint his own men from his fiefdom to top posts at court, allegedly inappropriately. After just 27 days, Huo Guang, the regent, called all the ministers together and denounced Emperor Feidi. The written denunciation counted 1,127 violations of Han Dynasty norms and rules during these 27 days. Under the authority of the Empress Dowager, who also happened to be Huo Guang's granddaughter, Huo Guang deposed Emperor Feidi. You may be asking, 1,127 violations in 27 days. If you do a little bit of math, that's over 40 alleged violations a day. How is that even possible? Even if the emperor went out of his way to break every conceivable rule, 40 a day seems like a tall order. Moreover, when Huo Guang deposed Emperor Feidi, he also executed over 200 men that the emperor brought with him from the fiefdom of Changyi, essentially all of the emperor's original loyalists. The great Song Dynasty scholar and poet Su Shi, considering this incident over a thousand years later, decided that Huo Guang's version of events in his denunciation couldn't be trusted. According to Su Shi, it must have been the case that Emperor Feidi wanted to assert his own power and to free himself of this regent left over from his grandfather's time. For that reason, he began to appoint his own men to key posts. But he moved too quickly. Huo Guang saw the threat to his own power, and he immediately reacted. This explains why Huo Guang didn't stop at deposing the emperor, but went on to kill nearly all of his loyalists. As for the newly deposed emperor, Huo Guang did not kill him, but sent him back to Changyi. However, Huo Guang also abolished Changyi as a principality within the empire. 
Huo Guang then found another imperial cousin to take the throne, Emperor Xuandi of the Han. In 63 BC, Xuandi made the erstwhile Prince of Changyi the new Marquis of Haihun, granting him a new fiefdom located in present-day Jiangxi province. It was here that the Marquis died in 59 BC, and so it was here that in 2011, the grave robbers, then the villagers, and then the authorities discovered the tomb of the Marquis of Haihun. A tomb that has proven to be one of the most fruitful excavations in the annals of Chinese archaeology. Before we end, a quick coda about Huo Guang, what ultimately happened with him. There remains some controversy surrounding him. On the one hand, in terms of policy, his regency was quite successful. Under his leadership, during the time of Emperors Zhao Di and Xuan Di, the Han Dynasty maintained peace, which allowed the country to recover from Wu Di's many wars. And whereas many other powerful courtiers in his position would have usurped the throne, as many subsequent courtiers did, Huo Guang never usurped the throne for himself. Nonetheless, he was in a position to dictate terms to the emperor, and he did. Emperor Xuan Di was terrified of him and wary of his power. Huo Guang's wife even murdered Xuan Di's first empress, and Huo Guang covered up the crime for her. He was like Icarus, flying too close to the sun. But he never paid the price for it in his lifetime. After Huo Guang's death in 68 BC, Xuan Di eagerly promoted the Huo family's political enemies in order to counterbalance their power. Huo Guang's sons and grandsons reacted. They overreached, indeed, and plotted a coup. In 66 BC, the coup failed, and Xuan Di had the entire Huo family executed. In case you haven't noticed yet, Chinese history is drenched in blood. All right, this has been MODG. Thank you for listening.